0: Come on, give it up for the worship team. Let's go. All right, you guys can go ahead and have a seat. What's up, Salt Company? How are we doing tonight? Yeah, all right, that was okay. That was okay. Uh, Guys, welcome to week two of Salt Company, our first normal week of Salt Company. Thanks for being here. Thanks for coming back. Uh, And just want to say again if this is your first time here, We are so thankful that you guys are here. Uh, We're thankful that God brought you here, and we believe you are here for a reason. I want to repeat one thing that was said earlier, which is that uh, we are not just a college ministry. We are a college ministry, but we're actually a college ministry of a local church. And so we want to invite you back Thursday nights right here, 8 p.m. We do the same thing every week, but we also want to invite you Sunday mornings. We're, we're, we're a multi-generational church that gathers together on Sunday mornings to do the same thing. Open up the Bible and worship Jesus. And so we don't actually meet here Sunday mornings. We meet uh, at the Graduate Hotel on campus of the University of Minnesota, 845 and 1030. I want to invite you guys to Salt City. Know that you guys have a church home at Salt City Church. Um, and we love Salt City, and Salt City loves us really well. Uh, we're jumping into our first series of the year. So last week was kickoff. We're, we're jumping into our first series of the year that, that we're calling The Road Less Traveled, which this is what we typically do at Saul Company, is we open up the Bible and we hear from God through his word. We just work our way through a book of the Bible. And so we're opening up Romans because we believe God's voice is revealed in his word. The the actual voice of God is revealed in the pages of the Bible. And so we're going to open up Romans and we're going to do a flyover series of the book of Romans. And so if you have a Bible, would you turn to Romans 1? Uh, If you don't have a Bible, your phone works great. Uh, Pull out your phone. If you're looking for Romans, it's 85% of the way through your Bible. Or you can look at the table of contents. Also want to say, if you don't have a paper Bible, uh, but you'd prefer to use one, uh, we want to give you one. They're, they're on, in the back, on your way out. Uh, grab a, a blue Bible. It's our gift to you. You can take that home. Uh, but, but Romans 1 is where we'll be tonight. As you turn there, I have a question for you guys. Who is the most powerful person on the earth? I want you to think about that. Who is the most powerful person in the world right now? And in just a second, I'll have you share your answer. But what what we're going to find is that we all define power differently. Like what you consider as powerful is different than what I consider as powerful. We all have different purposes for power. What are you powerful over or have the power to do? We all think of different things when we think of power. See, some of you, when I say, who is the most powerful person in the world, you think power is money. So Elon Musk has to be the most powerful person in the world. Or maybe you think Joe Biden, because you think power is based on position. Maybe, uh, if I butcher this pronunciation, I apologize. Hefbor Ulius Bjornsson, some of you know, his nickname is Thor. He's ginormous. Google him. Strongest man alive. At least he was at one time. This this dude is jacked. Is power strength? Uh, a, a Ronaldo or LeBron is is power talent. Kylie Jenner is power influence. What is power? And who is powerful? Okay, I want you to think of who you think is the most powerful person alive. It can be someone I listed. It can be someone I didn't list. But I want you to think, who is the most powerful person alive, and I want you to shout it out. Uh, I'm going to count down from three, okay? Everyone have the name in their head? All right. Three, two, one. Uh, Okay. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I was hoping to hear like a couple names pretty clearly that I could list off. There were so many things said, I didn't hear one single name clearly. Uh, but that kind of makes my point. Uh, we all define power differently. All sorts of names were thrown out. There wasn't like one name that, that was heard over the rest of them, and if it was, it was probably because that person's just loud. Uh, but we all define power differently. But I also want you to realize that no one in this world has ultimate power. If someone had ultimate power, they would be the one name listed. And here's how I know no one has ultimate power. is because everyone that was just said, everyone that was just said has the capability to die. That just got morbid really fast, I know. Uh, But everyone that was just said, like, everyone has the capability to die. So no one... uh, in the world, actually has ultimate power. And so tonight, we're going to talk about where power comes from. Where does power come from? If we want to be people that have access to power, where do we get it? And I'm just not just talking about the power that was listed earlier. I'm talking about the type of power that lasts beyond our life here on earth. The type of power that gets us into heaven. Because that takes power. And so we're going to talk about the type of power that gets us into heaven tonight. And so I have one more question for you before we jump in. And I'm, I'm warning you. There's a little bit of a heavy question. Okay? This is a little bit of a heavy question. So imagine you guys are on your way home tonight, get into a car accident, and you die. Okay? I warned you. Heavy question. Uh, on a scale of one to 10, one being completely uncertain. And 10 being absolutely certain, how sure are you tonight, not in 10 years, tonight, you'd go to heaven? Again, I don't actually just want you to think about it. I want you to write it down. So pull out your phone, journal, whatever it is. Uh, I want you guys to write it down. You don't have to show anyone, uh, uh, but I want you guys to write it down. How sure are you that tonight you get hit by a car, Mack truck, you're going to heaven? Yes, that's funny. Uh, okay, everyone, everyone got it written down? Yeah, okay, I'm just going to assume you, you do. Uh, so we're going to jump into Romans, uh, but we're going to get a little context for the book. And so we're in Romans 1.1. 1, 1. This is what it says. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. We're going to actually skip to verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. So a little background. Paul, a gentleman, an apostle, a man that's met Jesus, writes a letter to a group of people 2,000 years ago in a place called Rome. But you need to know something about Rome. Rome isn't an ordinary city. Rome is... The, the center for cultural and political influence. So this would be like if New York City, cultural influence, collided with Washington, D.C., political influence. This is Rome. That's what Rome is. And, and he writes to a group of people in Rome. And this group of people in Rome are people asking the question that we asked last week. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus and what does he mean for our lives? And so even though this is 2,000 years ago on the other side of the ocean, in a completely different context, completely different world in a lot of ways at the time, these people are a lot like us. People who, who are coming and asking the question, Who is Jesus and what does he mean for our lives? What does he mean for my life? Because I'm guessing if you're here tonight, you're asking that question, at least at some level. You at least have a curiosity. Who is Jesus and should he mean anything for my life? And if you're not asking that question, you have an incredibly convincing friend. So more power to that friend uh, for for bringing you here tonight. But wherever you're at in that question, we're glad you're here. But here's what you need to know about what's happening in Rome. So if that's what's in Rome, here's what's happening in Rome. Is there two groups of people that are clashing? There are two groups of people that are getting into an argument. They're the people that grew up as Jews. And then there's this group of people that Paul's going to call the, the Gentiles or the Greeks. But here's what you need to know about the Jew the Jewish people. Is these are people who grew up around God, around what it means to follow him. These are like the church going, the the growing up going to church camp kids. Like they're, they're walking the walk. And what's really important to the Jewish people is that you live the right way. That you do the right things. That you perform the right rituals and not only perform the right rituals but perform the right rituals in the right way. It is an incredibly performance-driven culture. And what's really important to these people is ceremonies. you got to do the right thing at the right time. That's how power is accessed, is by doing the right thing at the right time, by performing the right ceremonies, which ceremonies is kind of a weird word, uh, kind, of, or kind of a weird idea because uh, we don't live in, in a ceremonial-driven culture, but, but they did. But I actually think we live in more of a ceremonial-driven culture than we think. Um, I realize this in in marriage. Uh, I realize just how ceremonial of a of a life, at least that I live. Uh, Two quick examples: Uh, the holidays. I don't know if your family's like my family. My family is super like has so many traditions, and you got to do the traditions in the right way. Uh, One of the first times my dad met Rachel, who's my now wife, but we like first time he met her. We weren't even dating at the time. My dad goes, man, I can't wait to suffocate you in Christmas traditions someday. That's what he said to Rachel. Just like brutal. Uh, But that's my family. We love Christmas traditions, birthday traditions, the whole shebang. Um, But I'm also realizing I have more consistent ceremonies in my life. Uh, This is the current tension of the ProVart household is that I have a nighttime ceremony. Uh, Some of you are with me in the room, about 30% of you, and they all happen to be women. Uh, But here's my nighttime ceremony. I I, I like want my space. I want to process my day. I want to brush my teeth by myself. I want to wash my face by myself. I want to just like have a little room to breathe at the end of my day. And Rachel does not like giving me that room to breathe at the end of the day. Like, I, I think in her mind what marriage is is like brushing our teeth with interlocking arms, you know? I really think that's what she thinks marriage is. Uh, so that's the current intention of the Provard House is I'm like, I'm like, Rach, you should go get ready for bed and then I will get ready for bed after you. I like my ceremony. Anyway, uh, we're getting off topic. Ceremonies. Uh, we don't live in a ceremonial-driven culture, but I think we have more ceremonies than we think. Uh, but what you need to know about the Jewish people is that they care about their ceremonies. Like me and my nighttime routine, they think there's a right way to, to perform ceremonies. That in order to receive power, you have to do the right thing. You have to do the right thing in the right way. But there's another group of people clashing up against the Jewish people. And this is the Gentiles or the Greeks. Here's what you need to know that means. These are all people that are not Jewish. They're people that grew up far from God. They, they don't have the, the traditions. They don't, they don't know what it's like to, to follow him. They're learning about God for the first time. So you got the Jewish people who are so deep in traditions. And they care about what you do. But then you have these Greeks and they care about what you know. They care about what you know. They think power is based not on what you do, but what you know about God. So the, the, the Greeks are focused on knowledge, thinking that power is received based on what you think about God. So they actually didn't really care that much about what they did for God, but they cared a lot about what you thought of God. So they thought power was accessed by thinking the right things, having the right thoughts, holding the right opinions about God. So the Greeks think that the Jews are blinded because they are holding too tightly to their old way of thinking, and so they don't think the right things about God. That's what they think. But the Jews think the Greeks are blinded because they don't hold to any of the previous traditions. They don't care about how they live. They just care about what they think. So you think about the Jews, the, the people that, that care about how they live, and you think about them answering the same question on a scale of 1 to 10, where are they at? I'm guessing most of them are a, are a 6 or 7. Here's why. Because they, like you, like they, they do a lot of the, the right things, but they know they're not perfect. Like they've never killed anyone. But, but they do most, mostly good things. So they're probably a, a six or a seven on the scale. And the, the, the Greeks look at the Jews and say, man, power isn't driven by action. Power is driven by knowledge. And so the, the Greeks are probably an eight on the scale, right? Because they, they think they think the right things about God. I know what I just said. But they don't know. How can they know? God is unknowable. And so what they're trying to do is make the unfathomable fathomable. And so they, they're holding the right beliefs, or they think they are. They're, they're so focused on knowledge, what it means to know the right things. And as I was reflecting on this, I was brought back to my time in college, where I was coming to a place just like this, Trying to figure out how to access power. Is power access based on what you know or what you do? I remember coming to this place, coming to Soul Company with thoughts about how do I get to God? How do I get access to God? That requires power. What kind of power allows me to get access to God? How do I get His approval? thinking that, man, if I stay away from certain things, or if I do certain things, then I'll get God to like me. Like my walk with God was based on a sliding moral scale. Let me explain this to you. That I'm kind to people outwardly. I say nice things to them. And I show up to Soul Company, to this church event with church people, and, and so I'm, I'm bumping my moral scale up. Maybe I was a seven at the beginning of the day, but I said a nice thing. I held the door, and, and now I'm at Saul Company, so maybe I'm an eight. Things are going pretty well. Until maybe I, I fall back into something I, I said I wouldn't do. I end up getting drunk with, with my friends, or I end up sleeping with a stranger, or I end up being mean to my parents, or leaving a hurting friend on red. And all of a sudden, I feel myself bumping back down the scale. Where I was an eight, now I'm maybe a six, maybe a five, depending on how hard my day was. So I'm, I'm living my life on a sliding moral scale. The more good things I do, the higher my number gets. But then as soon as I do something bad where my conscience feels dirty, where I feel gross inside, that number starts to slip back down. You see, we we think when we do good things, we can earn God's favor. But then when we do bad things, his favor leaves us. We tell ourselves that the approval of God, the power it takes to get to God is actions based. We, like the Jews, are probably in the six to seven range. Some of you maybe wrote in the six to eight range. Man, I'm I'm a good person, but I'm not perfect. I'm not, I'm not, I'm. I'm not three, but I'm not ten. some of you I want to acknowledge like you're like colin i'm not I'm not in the seven to eight range. I'm not even in the like five to six range i'm I'm a two like if you knew my story, if you knew how many bad things I've done even this week, you would like i'm a two i'm I'm really not sure and what I want to say is keep listening because we're gonna we're gonna try to find power from another place and but there are others of us who Realize that, that power isn't found in action. We think power is found in knowledge. And so you're, you're the type of person that comes into this room and you think, man, if these people actually believed or knew the right things, if they knew the right opinions to hold, if they knew the right thoughts about God, then they'd have power to, to access him. So you're maybe in the eight where you're looking out and you say, man, I know more things about God. I hold the right opinions about God, and so I'm, I'm an eight, unlike these other people. But, man, there's some information that you don't know about God, and so you're hoping that you know the right information to know about God. So you're, you're maybe an eight. Still others of us think it's some combination of both, that we need both the right actions and the right thoughts of God. We need to think the right things and do the right things to, to please God, to, to access his power. So here's the thing. We all come into this place with different numbers. Some zero, some ten. I would guess the majority in the five to eight range. But here's what I want to say. If your number is not a ten, is it really worth arguing with someone about how to bump your number up one or two points. Like if you're in the seven range, is it really worth arguing with someone who's eight, who thinks that it's knowledge-based as opposed to actions-based? It, it, it just doesn't seem like it's worth arguing about. Because what you end up is you're, you end up like the Jews and the Greeks debating, is it knowledge or is it action? Is it knowledge or is it action? And you end up fighting over powerless things. You end up fighting over uncertain things. You end up fighting over hopeless things. It's like uh, some of you maybe are, have already had this. Uh, others of you, you'll get it. It's like in class. I remember in class when I was in college uh, when the professor is like teaching a topic. And then uh, kind of out of the blue, they're like, all right, get in your group. You have 20 minutes to create a presentation, and you're presenting it at the end of class today. Right? And so you guys start freaking out because you get in your group, you're like, man, we got to come up with a presentation in 20 minutes. It's like that group, which we've all been in this group. If you haven't, you're lucky. Uh, it's like that group that spends the first 15 minutes arguing over what the slide theme should be. It's like, it doesn't matter how you package it if the content sucks. It doesn't matter. That's what's happening in Rome. And I think that is what our tendency is, is to argue over worthless things, to argue over whether it's knowledge or whether it's action. Because in the same way, to be an eight, it's like, man, my eight's better than a six. Well, is it really? Because imagine you're at the edge of a cliff, you're you're jumping off and you can't see what's under you. Are you going to jump if you're 80% certain that there's water that can catch you? Probably not. Are you going to jump if you're 90% certain there's water that's going to catch you? 90! Like, you're a 9. 9 out of 10. Are you going to jump? Probably not. Why? Because it's significant enough that 90% isn't certain enough. It's the same way with our relationship with God. If you're a 9 out of 10, you, it, like, you need to be better than a 9. You need to be a 10 because th- this isn't just like jumping off a cliff, this is life with God. Do you have the power to, to have a life with God? So what Romans is going to teach us, what Paul's going to teach us, is how to be a 10. This is what it says. This is what Paul says in the book of Romans. This is Romans 1, verse 16. He says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Here's what Paul is saying: Power is in the gospel. Power is in the gospel. The gospel is a word we throw out a lot here at Saul Company, and here's all it means: All it means is good news. We think power is found in the good news of what Jesus has done for us. But to know the good news, we need to first recognize the bad news. So I'm going to be explicit with what I've already told you tonight, that we, apart from God, are powerless to get to God. If you're an eight, you're actually a zero. Because your knowledge, you don't know enough, good, you don't know enough of God to have knowledge get you access to God. And if you're a seven in your actions, that's as good as a zero. Because there's no way you can do enough good things to get yourself to God. So you're actually a zero. Your best efforts of significance, influence, authority, your best actions, and your best knowledge will leave you hopelessly uncertain and hopelessly apart from God. but Jesus is offering us power that's different. Not through what we do or through what we know, but through what he has done for us. This is the gospel. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it as clearly as I can, that we were powerless, but Jesus, born as a man, but was fully God, came on a mission to earth. Though he was powerful, he came to save powerless people, that people like the Romans and people like us because our goodness wasn't good enough, our knowledge was not smart enough, because our brokenness was so complete to the core of who we were that all of us in this room, including myself, were a zero on that scale with no way on our own to get to God. And so we, because we're a zero, deserve separation from God, but God still came. Here's what Jesus does is that he takes that separation, he takes the penalty for our powerlessness, and he takes it to a Roman cross where he dies for our sins. He dies like a powerless man, but you got to remember that he was man yet fully God. And so Jesus as a man endured the separation from his Father. He endured separation from God. He endured the penalty that we deserve, but the good news of Jesus was that not only was he a man but God. And so he could endure the powerlessness as a man, but he could not forfeit his power as God, and so rose from the grave in the epic, most epic turn of events in all of human history. Jesus rose from the grave. And here's what looking at Jesus makes us do. When we see the perfection of Jesus, the power of Jesus, in light of who we are we realize that we are completely powerless if you haven't realized you're a zero yet i hope you realize it now that jesus perfect holy fully god fully man he's the only one that can stand on his knowledge and that can stand on his actions because what the james says what james the book of james says is that Whoever keeps the whole law but fails at just one aspect of it stands guilty before God, stands powerless before God. We all stand powerless before God. There's no power in what we know, no power in what we do, but there is power in what we believe. We can not know enough of the right things, we can't do enough of the right things, but we can believe that Jesus displayed power on the cross for us. And by belief and belief alone, you can actually have the power to access God because God gives his power to you. And here's what we do at Saul Company. We talk about this power every single week. We talk about the gospel every single week because if the gospel is power... I want you guys to know the message of power. And so we're, we're going to come back and you, we're, we're going to say the gospel again. Every message throughout all the Bible, we're going to point to the good news of Jesus, of what he's done for us. My shirt literally says it. That's why I wore this shirt. It says, good news every Thursday. Good news every Thursday. We talk about the same thing. And so what I want you to know is that in light of that, it is okay to be someone who's still figuring it out here at Salt Company. Because we talk about power every week. We talk about how to gain access to power every week. You're not missing something. You're not behind. You can come as someone who's in process to Salt Company. But I also want to talk to another group of you. To the Christians in the room. Who are like, yeah, I know the gospel. I get the gospel. I get that the gospel is the entry point into Christianity. It's the door that I walk through. But I'm looking to come to Salt Company to gain more knowledge. To know what I need to do to be a better person. Because I've gone through the door of the gospel, and so I'm looking to go beyond the gospel. And what I want you to know is that the gospel is the only message of power. And so if you want to be a person of power, a person with access to God, you can never move on from the gospel. But there's also encouragement in that. God loves you no more and no less today than he did the day you were saved. Because his love for you was never based on what you knew or what you did. It was always based on what he had done for you. So the gospel is always good news. No matter who you are, it is power. We don't move on from it and you shouldn't move on from it. It's not the starting place of Christianity. It's where the whole Christian life is lived. Here's what we say at Saul Company. Is that the gospel is not the diving board. It's the whole pool. It's not the place where we start our Christian journey. It's the place where the Christian life is lived. Everything we do is in light of the gospel. It's in light of what God has done for us. But when properly understood, we start to orient our lives around it. We start to orient everything we do around the gospel because it's at the core of who we are. And so this is why Paul says he's unashamed of the gospel. Because at the very core, it's where his power comes from. And so when we're ashamed of something, it's because of one of two things. It's either because we don't want to seem proud, but you can't seem proud in light of the gospel because it's not what you've done, it's what Jesus has done for you. We're also ashamed of things because of insecurity, but here's what I want you to know is that you don't have to be insecure about the gospel because the gospel is the very place where you found power. That's what's true of the gospel. You don't need to be ashamed of the gospel. Another way to say this is that when we're ashamed of something, we want to disassociate with it. We want to distance ourselves from it. We want to stay far from it because it gives us a stigma that is not positive, but for the Christian our whole lives are oriented around this one event, this one person, this one idea that Jesus saves people who are powerless and that Jesus gives power, power to powerless people. So Saul Company, we are not ashamed of the gospel here. We will talk about it every single week. We will talk about Jesus every single week and we want that to be true of you too. But, but I want to say one more thing. I want to give a final encouragement and in that encouragement, it's maybe more of a warning so hear me on this. You see, because I, as I encourage you to be unashamed of the gospel, I think it's easy to sit in here and be like, yeah, Colin, I agree with you. But then if you're honest with yourself, you're kind of like, Colin, that's actually really hard. It's really hard to be unashamed of the gospel. Because I'm not sure if I always want to associate with Jesus. Like, I'm not sure if I'm all in yet. That's okay. Okay. I'm not sure if I've figured it out quite yet. That's that's okay. I think it might like be embarrassing. I'm not sure I want to tell people about him yet. That's actually okay. I want to say to you, it's understandable. But I don't want you to leave this place thinking about how discouraged you are, that you're not ready to be unashamed of the gospel. Because if that's how you leave this place, you've missed the whole point. Because the point of this message is not how you can become unashamed of the gospel. Actually, the point of this message and the point of the book of Romans and the point of the whole Bible is not how you become unashamed of God, but the fact that God was not ashamed of you. That is what is most true. God wants to associate with you. God wants to leverage his power to be with you. God wants to associate with the sinner and the outcast. God wants to associate with the hurting and the sick and the outsider and the one who feels like they don't belong. God wants to associate with the powerless and the people that feel like they're a zero on the scale. That's who God wants to associate with. This message is not about how you build the courage to be bold for God. It's about how God had the courage to run after you. That's what this is all about. That's what the gospel is about. And one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible embodies this. It happens in Luke 23. And what we're reminded of in Luke 23 is that when Jesus walked up the hill to Calvary, he did not walk it alone. He did it. Actually, Jesus didn't die alone. He died with two other criminals. And these two criminals in this story, they start by just dogging on Jesus. Come on, Jesus. If you have power, get off the cross. If you have power, get us off this cross. Come on, Jesus. Use your power for us. Come on. But then something happens in one of the criminal's hearts where he sees something different is actually happening. And he looks at Jesus. And he says, Jesus, I deserve to be up here. I'm a criminal. I'm sentenced. And my sentence is right. I'm not going to pretend like I don't deserve this. I deserve this. I'm a criminal who deserves to die. And so Jesus, I see that there's power in you. You don't deserve to be up here, but I do. I don't have any power. I'm powerless, but you have power. And you will reign. And so this is what the criminal says to Jesus. He says, Jesus, when you go and reign in power, will you just remember me? I deserve this, but you don't. Will you remember me when you enter into relationship with God in power? And in one of the most beautiful lines in all the Bible, Jesus turns to a man that's grasping for his last breath, knowing he's going to die. And this is what Jesus says to him. Jesus says this, Truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. You see a sentenced criminal who's not wondering when he's going to die. Like in the question on a scale of 1 to 10, he's not wondering if he's going to die today. He knows he's going to die today. He's not counting the days until he dies. He's counting the breaths until he dies. And you ask that man, on a scale of 1 to 10, where are you at? He'd gasp for breath and he'd say, look, I'm a 10. Why? Not because he could get off the cross and do something great for God. Not because he could read a book of all the things he should know about God, but because Jesus is willing to associate with the criminal and the outsider. And Jesus is willing to be a 10 in your place. Jesus is willing when you put your faith in him to make you a 10. Because it's not about what you do or what you know. It's about what he's done for you. That's what's true of the gospel. And so if that's true of the criminal, that's true of me, that can be true of you, which means you don't have to leave this place looking for the next thing to do or the next thing to know, but you just have to say yes to Jesus. And you can be a 10. You can be a sure 10. You can go back into your phone, go back into your notes, erase that number, and write a 10. In bold, underline, highlight, circle, because that can be true of you tonight. It just has to be a yes to Jesus. Yes to belief in Jesus. Yes to... I, I can't do it on my own. I am, I am powerless. I am a zero, but I can be a 10 in Christ because of what He's done for me. And that's news that we're going to talk about every single week at Salt Company because it's news that will empower you to live a life that's worth living for as you leave this place. Let's pray. God, here we are, zeros, powerless without you. Nothing to offer you, no good works, no knowledge. And yet, God, you chase after admitted criminals. Like the man on the cross and like the man on the stage. You chase after powerless people that have nothing to offer you, but you offer us everything. You offer us life with you now and life with you in the future. And so, God, I pray right now in this room, you would meet people. Meet people who are a zero, meet people who are a three, meet people who are an eight. Meet people who are a nine, who are pretty sure they're there, but not quite. And would you change everything about their life with num- one number, that they can be a 10 tonight. They don't have to leave needing another experience, needing more knowledge, needing another action to do. They can leave being a 10 because of what you've done in their place. So God, would we worship you with the certainty that we can be a 10 because of what you've done, because of what you've done on the cross, because of what you did when you died for us, but also because of what you did when you came back to life. God, that you guaranteed life for us when we put our faith in you. So, God, meet us tonight. Help us to worship you. Prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.